0: thank you for the opportunity to give and we just pray God that you would take what's given use it for your kingdom your glory Lord we put it in your hands in Jesus name amen In. All right, children, you're dismissed to go downstairs with Sister Roberta and Sister Corey. We have nursery and Sunday school for pretty much all the age groups down there, waiting for you. Some excited teenage girls that get to go down and help, so don't have to listen to me this morning. So they were here last night too. So, all right. Well, welcome out again, everybody. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. We are. Celebrating a very special day today, Sierra Heffern is going to be baptized in the, the waters of baptism after the service this this morning. And I know many of you are here to celebrate that with her. So we just would like to welcome you and thank you for uh, supporting her and her decision to do so. Um, we uh, if, As you walked in, you probably might have noticed that we have a verse on the wall here. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's kind of the mantra that uh, we, as we were renovating the building uh, and decided to spend the money for a baptism. Uh, you know, this is what we wanted to what we wanted to be about. And uh, so, we I just thought I'd take the opportunity this this morning to go over that verse, to go over that passage of scripture, to review what the apostle Paul is really saying in that passage of scripture. So, if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you'd like to follow along with me, um, to Ephesians chapter four is where we'll be at. To start with, and we'll pretty much stay in Ephesians. I have a few other verses that we'll turn to later on in the sermon. But what does it mean when the apostle Paul says "one Lord, one faith, one baptism"? Is the the question that we're trying to answer this morning, and as we um, will be celebrating with Sierra her decision to follow Jesus in in the waters of baptism. And that's what's great about God's word; He's revealed Himself, uh, this creation that we have, and all that we see it with our eyes and and behold that tells of his glory and how great and majestic and the powerful our God, creator God is. But the good news is, is that he's not only demonstrated his power in creation, but he's also revealed himself to us through special revelation, through his word. The word of the Lord will stand forever, the scriptures declare. And so we can know the God who's created us and created this universe specifically and specially through His revealed Word found in Scripture. And the the best news about it is, is we can know how we can be reconciled to God because he's, he's, a, he's revealed His way. He's revealed in His Scripture how we can be uh, with Him and given eternal life. He's given us the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in His special revelation. And so it's just a wonderful... Uh, blessing to have his inspired word with us and to be able to know not only know that there is a God but to know who this God is and how we can have an eternal relationship with him and be reconciled to him and that's essentially what Paul is speaking of and so uh, Ephesians is a letter that he written to, he wrote to the church at Ephesus um, as he's going he, the, the book of Acts records his missionary journeys he's going from town to town he'd go into a syn- Jewish synagogue and he declare to to those worshiping um, Uh, God in the synagogue, um, he would declare that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Old Testament prophets who prophesied that the Messiah would one day come. He would declare that salvation had come through the Messiah, and it wasn't through following the Old Testament rules and regulations, but it was through what Jesus has done on their account. And um, the wonderful news of the gospel, he he would teach, and, and you would see as you follow him along, and he'd go into the town, and he'd get three different responses every time he preached the gospel. He'd go into the middle of this group of people who were trying to uh, live life and seek God through keeping all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And he would declared, Jesus has set you free from those things. And, and so three responses. The first one would be anger, right? Wait a minute. You can't tell me that you can't tell me that, you know, Jesus has done it all for us. And so you'd see that response and many times Paul got beat and whipped and chased out of town and threatened to be imprisoned and, and because he proclaimed this good news of Jesus. And then the other one was, to see some people go, well, I, I see what you're saying, but I need to know more. I mean, you're asking me to make a big life choice here, eternal, right, to eternal consequences. I need to know more. And so that's another response that people have when they hear the gospel. And then the the last response is people hear it and through the power of the Spirit receive it and believe it as such as truth, as what the gospel or what the Scriptures proclaim, and um, and receive Jesus as their Savior. And it's the same today. God's inspired these words for us. He's promised to preserve them for us, and so we even in 2021 can stand up and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that salvation is found in Him. And we know that there's going to be those three different responses. But we stand and we're pro- proclaim the good news is because we want everyone to have the opportunity to hear the good news that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be reconciled to your God and to receive Him as Savior and to have eternal life, to save you from what you truly deserve. And we'll see all this as this message unwinds itself as we dig into God's uh, Word here in Ephesians. And so that's what uh, Sierra, uh, back in the day when she heard the gospel message, she, she received Jesus, and, and uh, we've been talking and corresponding and her desire to follow what Jesus says is, is the first step of obedience and to follow in Christ, and that is to step into the waters of baptism, publicly proclaiming her, her um, belief that Jesus is Lord and Jesus has saved her from, from her sin. And so we're so excited for that. We're so excited to be able to celebrate that with her this morning. So let's go ahead and get into Ephesians chapter four. So Ephesians chapter four is he verses one through three. Uh, Paul is writing to to de- to declare uh, that the church should be unified. He's calling us to be unified. Uh, Jesus in his earthly ministry is recorded as saying, "The people on the outside of the church will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another." We are to to portray unification and be unified. In our walk with one another, even uh, the larger church at large, you know, I have lots of conversations with people, and I say, how, am there, "How come there's so many denominations and stuff like that? And how can you all say that you all believe the same thing?" Well, well, there's core tenets of the faith that we're going to get into that unify us. That are non uh, non they're, they're essential. They're essential. They, we can't uh, excuse them or water them down. These are the essentials of of the Christian ethic. The, this this thing that we rally around. No matter how we choose to worship our God, these are the essentials that we're going to cover this morning as to what it means to walk in unity with one another as Christ followers. And so first he calls us to unity. Verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And here it is, making every effort to keep the unity of the capital S Spirit, the God the Spirit, through the bond of peace. And so the Spirit allows us to have this, bonds us together with one another in the union of Christ, uh, and, and it should exemplify this peace through his presence and power. So call, Paul is calling us, to be unified, and he's calling this specifically this church to be unified. And in Ephesus, if you study the history, you'll see that there was a lot of Gentiles and there was a lot of Jews in that area. And so, Paul, or the the gospel was preached in Ephesus, and and a church was established. But there was these the, the you know Jewish believers, and there was also Gentile believers, and they're all coming from way different backgrounds, and um, understandings, and their their paradigm, the lens that they look at life through, is completely different. And so it was. Uh, it was open for; it was really easy for f- to be, for this church to meet together and be disunified. And so, call it, Paul is saying to this church, "You guys need to be unified." And then he gives them the foundation, and gives us ultimately the Holy Spirit uh, inspired these words, and He's given us the foundation for our unity. So he says, "Be unified," and this is the foundation. These are the things that we rally around that are, uh, are essential to the gospel, to the to the foundation of who Jesus is and being a Christian and a Christ follower. So here is the foundation for our unity. Verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Will you pray with me one more time? Father, we just pray, God, that you... Meet with us now that your spirit would work in our hearts, God. We are so grateful to be able to be here this morning to sing praises to you, to fellowship with one another, to, um, and then now, Lord, to open up your word, God, to, to uh, worship you in our, in our mind and in, in our thoughts. And uh, we just pray, God, that your spirit would open our hearts and our, our, our ears to the truth that you have for us, God. I pray that your truth would be made known and that anything that is false would just fall dead on the floor, God. We just want to desire your truth. God, I just pray that you uh, use me and allow me to step aside, that your spirit would use me to proclaim only truth. And we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So the first one here is one body. So the, thing, the foundation for our unification is one body in Ephesians four four. And so if you look at the beginning of Ephesians 4 verse 1, he begins with the word therefore. And so he's He's using that word to point us back to the first three chapters of Ephesians. See, so Ephesians is broken up in two different distinct uh, portions. The first portion is written in the indicative mood. Verses, verses or Chapters 1 through 3 are what God has done for us on our behalf. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians is what God has done for us. And uh, amazing and just a blessing if you ever just want to be encouraged, I encourage you to read verses or chapters one through three of Ephesians, what God has done on our account, and then in the beginning of four, he switches from the, the um, indicative mood, what God has done for us to the imperative mood, which means the commands of scripture what God because what God has done for us, this is what we are to do. so chapter four begins that way uh, with what we are to do with knowing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so he says, therefore, in this first call for the church is to be unified. And the foundation of this unification is this, uh, these, these things that he's listing here. And he, the first thing he says is one body. And so if Paul has already given us the, uh, what God has done for us, we should be able to find what he means by one body and all the other uh, terms that he's bringing up in the first three chapters. And I think we certainly can. And so what does he mean by one body? If, if we are to be one body, what does that mean? And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, he's writing to Gentiles and trying to demonstrate to them that although they were not uh, of God's chosen people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, through Jesus Christ, they can also be reconciled into one body. Um, and that's what he says here in Ephesians 2. Let's read 11 through 16. So then, remember that... At one time you were Gentiles, that's outside of uh, the Jewish faith. It would be anybody outside the Jewish faith in the flesh called the uncircumcised. So in the Old Testament, right, the Jew, those that followed the Jewish laws, the given in the Mosaic Covenant, the, the male would be circumcised to, as a token, as a sign of that they followed the Old Testament covenant. But to the Gentiles, because they weren't in that, they were uncircumcised. So at one time they were called uncircumcised by those the, the so the Jews called them the uncircumcised, right? It was the the bad name that they would call them. Which is done in the flesh by human hands. In verse twelve, at that at that time you were without Christ, and you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you have you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of christ through christ he's saying he's saying through what christ has done we have the ability to be uh, reconciled to god no matter if you're a gentile or a jew god has made a way for us in the new covenant for anyone who hears the gospel message to be saved he goes on in verse 14 for he is our peace Who made both groups, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Right? He made peace with those groups. He made peace with every group, every ethnic group. Through the gospel, we can be unified and be at peace with one another. For he is our peace who made both groups and one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law of consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so the Old Testament laws and stuff he, the the law given to Moses, Paul writes in, to the Galatian church he he says, God gave that for us to understand." His standard and His holiness. And and if you really want to earn your merit, uh, be righteous in the eyes of God, this is the standard that you have to live by, is the Ten Commandments. And He gave it to the children of Israel. And the Old Testament is is a historical narrative of God's people consistently failing at keeping the law, demonstrating to to them and to us that it is impossible for us as humans because we uh, were born separated from God because of the fall way back in the Garden of Eden we are unable to keep the law perfectly. God is holy and he's perfect. We must be perfect in keeping that law to be able to have a relationship with him. And the, good, the bad news is, is we can't do it. Jew or Gentile. Male or female. Slave or free. None of us can measure up to the holiness of God, but the good news is that Jesus came from heaven. He took upon the form of a man. And He is God in the flesh. And He was able, as a man and God, to live that law perfectly for us on our behalf. He doesn't, wasn't stained with the sin that we all struggle with every day. We can just look outside the, the walls of this church and we can see the, 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 our culture and the world and we just see it spinning out of control. And so we have the consequences of sin before our eyes at every moment in this world. But this Jesus, this unique, only begotten Son of God, came from heaven and he was able to live that law perfectly and then he went to the cross to pay for sin and obviously it wasn't his sin it was for the sin of mankind for the sin of everyone who would believe he went as the spotless lamb of god and and um, the scriptures declare this was god's plan from the very beginning he never intended to save people through keeping the law he always intended to save people through the messiah that was the promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Through you, your seed, all the nations will be blessed because it is through Abraham's seed that the Messiah, Jesus, has come. And he fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he went to the cross and paid the sin debt of all of us. He paid it for us. He, God's wrath was poured out upon him. God is holy and just. He must punish sin. But God is also a God of love and mercy. And he demonstrated his love and mercy by punishing Jesus in our account he stood as our vicar he paid the penalty he spilt his shed his blood on the cross for us he gave his life so that we might have life that's the gospel that's why Jesus God can can uh, make a way for us to be reconciled to him because Jesus took the punishment for us God remains holy and just because he did punish sin but Instead of us receiving it, Jesus did. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, He that knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. And so this reconciliation is a gift given to us through what Jesus has done for us. It is a gift that we can't earn. It's His love gift to you. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. So He... that Standard and the condemnation that we we sit under because we violate God's and His rules and regulations and we sin against Him we rebel against Him has been nullified if you've received and believed Jesus as your Savior because He took that punishment for you, and so no longer are the the effects of the law consisting of commands and expressing regulations they're no longer over us. Paul says in Romans eight, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty in full. So what, he goes on, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. So here's this one body. All kindreds, nations, and tongues who hear this gospel message and receive it, it doesn't matter what church you're affiliated with, it doesn't matter what country you live in, all around the world, it doesn't matter what generation you, you live in, what time on this earth. If you hear the gospel message, you have been given the opportunity to receive and believe upon Christ Jesus for eternal life. In Galatians, he says, "There's no Jew, there's no Jew, there's now no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one body." He goes on. In Ephesians two eleven sixteen, 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He reconciled both, right? Jew and Gentile in one body. And he put to death hostility or the hostility of death. He put it to death. The consequence of our sin. And so what is, he speaking of this one body and we, we see in scripture and even found in Ephesians here that the body, the one body he's talking about is the body of Christ, which is his church. In Ephesians one twenty two, he says, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And so he The scriptures declare that as the gospel message is proclaimed and people have that response of belief, they are added at that moment of belief and receiving the gospel message, they are added into the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ is a spiritual organism throughout all nations, kindreds, and tongues, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout all time, those who receive the Lord and receive the gospel, the good news, are added into the body. And Christ is head over his church. And he subjected everything under his feet, appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And then he'll go on to say in Ephesians 5, talking about, again, this is what we are to do with what God has done for us. And this one kind of hurts us men. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so we see that the body is the church and Christ gave himself for his bride or for his body, the church. And Paul will go on to ask those who follow Christ, those men who are husbands, to live their lives, to lay down their lives and sacrifice for their wives just as Christ laid down his life for his church. And we see that this body was purchased by the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross Acts 20, um, Paul says here, he's talking to elders of the churches, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so the church that all those who have heard the message, have been received and believed it, are added into the church. Throughout all time, every kindred nation and tongue and so we are to unify around that. We are one body. So we all, the Christ uh, universal spiritual church is manifested physically in front of us this morning. All of us coming from different backgrounds, different upbringings, all hearing the message of Christ and then and hearing it and receiving it and believing it. And now we come together in fellowship and we are unified around these foundations the, of the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the next one is one spirit, right? One spirit. In Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So this one spirit that Paul speaks to of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, is the Spirit of God. And there's the Holy Spirit, he's speaking here, saying that when you hear the message of salvation, it's not just something that you mentally assent to and you add it to a list. No, it's a spiritual encounter, a supernatural encounter with the God, creator God, the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need to receive and believe Jesus. And when you hear it and receive it, you are regenerated and you are added into the Christ family and you are sealed by the Spirit of God. Supernatural, we don't see that happening. But that's what happens. And I testify to you some 18 years later, this is this is this is the good news. This is what God does when you hear and receive the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you, gives you a new heart and a new uh, a desire to seek and to please Him. And you're sealed by the promised Spirit. He says, the Spirit of God comes and dwells the heart of the believer. That's the, the gift that He gives us immediately upon salvation, and that's what He says here. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. When when does that happen? When you hear the gospel. When the gospel when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, that's when that happens. The Holy Spirit is our seal of our, the down payment of the inheritance that he's given us in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, just as you were called to one hope, so one body, one spirit, and now we have one hope. We all gather together here and we celebrate the hope that we have of eternal life that is promised to and what Jesus has done for us. One hope. And he, we can find him speaking of that. Ephesians 1.14. Uh, again, going, feeding off of one thirteen. The Holy Spirit who seals us into Christ is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit indwelling us and now we are the temple of God, the scriptures declare, is the down payment of the uh, promise of the internal her- inheritance that is to come. Eternal life. Right? We know the end of the story. What we see on the news is not the end of the story. This end of the story, what God's story, what He's doing in His creation is found in Revelation 20 When there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more sickness, no more sin. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and that is our hope. And it would be good if we heard the message and receive it and just be immediately raptured into his presence but oftentimes that's not the case he leaves us here to be ambassadors to be his light to be his salt in this world but he hasn't left us alone. He's given us the Spirit of God to indwell us. And that's the down payment of our inheritance. The inheritance that is to come is the down payment that we know that we are gods is that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and begins to transform us into a new creature of Christ, to transform us into the image of Jesus through his enabling power as we seek to follow him. And so we are unified around one body, in one body, and because of Uh, the hope of the spirit what God has done through us through the spirit and this salvation is found in one Lord and we can all deduce who this one Lord is it's the Lord Jesus Christ he begins Ephesians says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and so this word Lord is a word that means master or uh, ruler And it's often in biblical times would be used for a term of respect. So not only deity would have this word, but even a slave owner, uh, anyone that had authority would often be called Lord. But in Jesus' specific case, we know that the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, uh, speaks far more of just a term of, of respect. It speaks to Jesus' deity. When Thomas, doubting Thomas, most of us know that story, right? When Jesus rise rise from the grave and appears to his disciples, Thomas isn't there. He has the wounds. He says, look, here I am. I've risen from the grave. I've defeated death. The consequence of sin that we find in the garden, Jesus defeats it. And those who are in Christ, that's the good news. That's why we have the eternal life coming, because he's defeated death. And those who believe in him will one day be risen as well and he says I've defeated death here are my wounds Thomas wasn't there and they told Thomas and Thomas was like well unless I can put my fingers in the wounds or I'm, this is not verbatim here <laughs> I, I'm, I, 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 I'm not going to see it until I believe it is essentially what he said and so Jesus ultimately f- appears in John 20 to Thomas and says here you go Thomas here are my wounds put your finger in them and what was Je- Thomas' response my Lord and my God Jesus is the Lord of all, according to Peter in Acts ten thirty six. John in Revelation calls Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we don't just mean the term of respect. We mean Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is Lord. He's the King, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things were made by Him and through Him, Colossians says. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And so we are unified with the fact that our Lord has saved us. Our God has put upon flesh, set aside the glories of heaven, lived amongst his creation to be able to save us. And we owe him all and in all, an eternal life that is found in him. So we find this one Lord in Ephesians one twenty of Jesus' deity, not just a good teacher or a... Uh, someone to, be, to look up to, but as God in the flesh. He exercised his power, that's the Father in Christ, by raising him. That's Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens. So in the old, olden days, the, the king would be sitting on the throne and the, the person to the right hand had all authority and rule and reign. And so he, he's painting this picture for us Jesus as Jesus right, at the right hand of the Father, um, seating him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavens, Verse 21, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Paul is going to be out of his way to demonstrate to us the deity of Jesus Christ, that he has authority over all creation. And he subjected, in verse 22, everything under his feet and appointed him again as head over everything for the church. Jesus is the head of our church. I'm just an under-shepherd. My job is to point people to Jesus because he is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the means of the way of salvation, what he's done. He's the head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fulfills all things and in every way. There is salvation in in Acts 4.12. This is Peter talking and he says, there is salvation in no one else. And that's why he says one, that's why Paul says one Lord. There's only one Lord who's done this for us. Peter says in 4.12 there is salvation in no one else there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved one Lord and it's through one faith what does faith mean? it means to believe, right? We, everyone has a faith everyone has a, a paradigm a, a, are, we all were designed to operate off of faith that's how God has designed us and so um, an atheist still believes that there is no God that's a, that's a faith And so this this rallying cry of faith, what we believe, what is it that we are to believe not only uh, that Jesus, but what is is the saving faith is what we're trying to get at. Ephesians 1, again, going back to what God has done for us. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So he begins his letter by saying, I heard that you heard about Jesus and you placed your faith in Jesus. And so what does that mean to place your faith in Jesus? As many people believe Jesus was, existed and Jesus was of God and Jesus was a good teacher. But what does it mean to believe Jesus in the means of, that you are saved, that you have a saving faith? And Paul t- beautifully demonstrates that to us in Ephesians chapter 2. But he begins by giving us the bad news. I've kind of already touched on it this morning. Right? The only reason why the one that you hear the gospel message and you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today is with the fact that you'd be convicted that you are in sin and are separated from your God because of, of your sin and, and there's no means in which you can work your way back into his good merit through your own works. And that's what Paul begins with in Ephesians 2. He tries to give us the bad news to understand why we need the good news so much, right? It's not good news unless you understand the bad news. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he says. Dead means you're separated from God, in which you previously walked according to according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler and the power of the air, the spirit now working and the disobedient. That's everybody. Everybody that's been created that uh, calls them a human themselves a human. Has, this is their natural. Um, placed before a holy and just God. We're sinners. We've separated ourselves through our sin. And he says everyone's that way, including myself, including everyone that is in this church and calls himself a Christian this morning. They've known that without Jesus, they they were separated from God. There's that's all level at the foot of the cross. He says we too, he's including himself here. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. Even the Apostle Paul. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and we were by nature children under wrath, under God's judgment. As the others were also. And so that's the bad news, but this is the good news. But God, I'm so glad that God hasn't left us away and a means in which we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. And the good news is it's not through Christ Becoming a member of Falls Baptist Church, and it's it's not by entering in the waters of baptism and doing the best that you can. It's by by receiving the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4, 2, 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. We were dead in our sin, but now through Christ we are alive. We are given new and, and As Sierra raises up out of the waters of baptism, she's identifying to the world that she identifies with his death but also coming alive and newness of life and the new life that God, Christ has purchased for us. He's made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace, exclamation point. You're not saved by membership. You're not saved by doing a bunch of good works. You're saved by God's grace. God's grace means unmerited you, we couldn't do it, so he had to do it for us, and he gives it to us as a love gift. The salvation is an unmerited gift given to us. He also raised up him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, this is your spiritual reality. This is the hope that you have, that you are in as Christ ris- rose from the grave. He ascended acts chapter 2 says to the right hand of the father and so as he's out in the heaven if we're in christ we're in his body we're spiritually with him in the heavens seated above all this stuff that's going on he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might display this miserable rich the miserable riches of his grace his unmerited love through his kindness to us in christ jesus And so, this is saving faith. It's not just a belief of Jesus, but a saving belief is this that you receive this message here, for you are saved by grace. So, this gift, how do we receive it? Through faith. Jesus died for you, he took your penalty upon himself so that you might have life, eternal life. That's the message. And the scriptures declare all you must do to receive it is believe it. Abandon hope in all else and by faith receive and trust in his accomplished work alone. You are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, the apostle Paul says. Not of works. Not from works so that no one can boast. That is the one faith that binds us together as Christians, that Christ paid the penalty. We believe and trust in Him and His uh, vicarious atonement alone. And that is it. And then going on here, wrapping up, one baptism. One baptism. And this is the baptism of what we call the baptism of the Spirit. We already t- touched on Ephesians one thirteen, how the Holy Spirit has sealed, seals us into the body, into the one body, and He indwells us. Um, but the... What happens when you hear and receive the message of salvation is this spiritual, supernatural work of God in your your heart, making you from going from dead, turning you from being dead to alive in him. And the scriptures declare this. John the Baptist, who was baptizing with water, right? We're going to be baptizing with water today. He says, the one, one who is more powerful than I am coming after me, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Through the gospel message, he is Jesus Christ. Jesus, uh, the, through the, the message of salvation, the Holy Spirit becomes and fully immerses us and bonds us to, to Christ spiritually. And this is what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism that we speak of and we go into the waters is just an outward portrayal. It is the token. Just as circumcision was the token for the Old Testament, baptism is the token for the New Testament. We are declaring uh, that we identify with death, Jesus' death, as we lay down in the waters and, and burial and resurrection into newness of life as we come up out of the waters. And so this one baptism that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4 is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5, uh, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. This is Jesus saying this to his disciples just before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see that happening uh, very, very clearly. And so this salvation, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is found when we hear the message, we receive it, and then we believe it. That's when the Spirit of God does this supernatural work and makes us new. And again, for just as one body is one, so he's in 1 Corinthians 12, to the Corinthian church, Paul sums this all up that we've just been talking about. For just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so are also in Christ, so we're one. So we were all baptized by one spirit, right? Baptized by the spirit into one body. So this body of Christ is done through the baptism of the spirit. And the good news is for all the world, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. So these are the tides that bind us as Christians. We may choose to worship him differently, different denominations do that, but do they have these essentials of the faith? These are the things that we unify around. This is as we meet together as a, a manifestation of the spiritual church. Physically, we unify ourselves around these dear doctrines of salvation that are found through Christ. Paul speaks to Titus about this, uh, this baptism of the Holy Spirit too. He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done. Again, it's not through us, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Spirit. And then he closes it with one God, right? The Scriptures declare there is one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all, And I have good news for you this morning. You can be reconciled to your God through hearing this gospel message that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost. By hearing the message that Jesus died for you, that you be understanding that you're in sin and separated from your God and and, and understanding the need through the power of the Spirit for your need to receive Christ as your Savior, the Scriptures declare that you will be reconciled you will be given eternal life. Paul writes in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I pray that if you're without Jesus this morning, that you would consider what the scriptures say, how you can be, have a relationship with him and given an eternal life. So I just want to give an opportunity now as we sing this last song and celebrate with Sarah her going into the waters of baptism an opportunity for you to respond to this so we're going to pray and I'm just going to give it a few moments of silence and you might be one of the three different responses I re- referenced earlier you don't believe it or I need to hear more but if you're of that last one I understand it and I want to believe it call out to him confess through your mouth and I testify to you through the power of the spirit you will be saved let's pray father god we thank you for this opportunity to uh, hear their gospel message yet again to be reminded of this great gift you've given us eternal life salvation that is found not of our own works but of the work that you've done in christ lord we rejoice with sierra this morning as she wants to follow you and uh, proclaim to the world that she identifies with christ's death and burial and resurrection and we pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that has not yet encountered you in this saving faith, Lord, this one faith in this one Lord, baptized, Lord, in, by the one spirit, that today would be the day that they would call out to you, Lord. And I just want to spend the next few minutes of silence or a few seconds, Lord, of silence, so that they might be able to have that opportunity to respond to you in prayer. Thank you for your precious gift you've given us in Christ Jesus. We pray all glory and honor goes to him. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for loving us and demonstrating that love in him. And we say this in Jesus' name, amen.